Welcome to Academic Conversation with Merton and Morgan. I'm Alicia. And I'm Mary. And we're sharing content that supports and empowers students, parents, and educators. Well, tonight we're going to talk about um, culturally relevant and responsive text. And we had talked a while back about what's hot from ILA for 2020, and one of their top five um, things was actually providing access to high-quality, diverse books and content. So we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. I'm ready. It's one of my favorites. I found another article called Five Steps Toward Successful Culturally Relevant Tech Selection and Integration. It's by Sue Ann Sharma and Tanya Christ. They share some of the similar uh, items that ILA had shared. So their top five, the first one is recognize the need for culturally responsive instruction, which we have talked about many times on our podcast. Get to know more about your students' lives, so building those relationships and their backgrounds. Search for culturally relevant texts, which we're going to delve into tonight. And select culturally relevant text for your actual instruction, which we're also going to talk more about tonight and identify critical and personal response opportunities for instruction. So Mary, you have an interesting um, tidbit for us about Read Across America this year that's different, right? I do. I'm really excited about Read Across America. I always am. But this year, my librarian at school came to talk to the ESL team at our school to discuss the change in focus this year. Um, NEA's Read Across America, and I'll just read you the blurb that's on their website. It says, join us as we celebrate a nation of diverse readers with these recommended books, authors, and teaching resources that represent an array of experiences and cultures. And it just dovetails so perfectly with the what's hot focus on culturally relevant texts, but I also love their use of the term diverse readers because it puts the focus on the children again and not necessarily on the books themselves. So I've been trying to remind myself to say diverse readers. Um, I really like that. What do you think about that? Too. And those are very important and I respect them, but it's really about the the students picking up their their books and the adults that are picking up the books and taking a chance and deciding that they're going to try to teach with them and that can be daunting sometimes if you feel like you don't have um, a background that connects with what the book is about but it's a learning opportunity and I like that these things are all coming together this article that I referenced from the reading teacher was published in 2017 So now we're back in 2020, but everything is still relevant and um, just as important. Everything is relevant, and it just feels like, um, as we talked about with the What's Hot list, it feels like the list and this um, NEA's Read Across America focus is finally all pulling together the things that we've been noticing and trying to um, address with our own students it seems like it's caught up to what's really happening in the classroom so it's exciting and it's books and we love books don't we Mm -hmm. so if i could start off i would like to say that that point about knowing your students 
I think that's really a jumping off place for me because when I started teaching in urban classrooms, it was in 1990. That's, you know, a long time ago to some people, <laughs> I guess. It's a long time ago to everyone. But um, back then, we didn't really have as many books that were representative of as many different diverse readers as we have now. And because I started my career in a huge urban district in Clark County in Las Vegas, and then um, now I teach in another urban district, and between those times I taught in a small district, but it was um, in a university town, so we still had a lot of diversity. Even though we didn't have the books, the kids had the stories. So I remember getting really hooked on the stories through the kids, writing with the kids, talking with the kids, um, learning about their homes, meeting their parents, sometimes being lucky enough to be invited into their homes. Those, that's where the stories started for me. So then being able to start finding those books on the shelves that those kids could see themselves in um, was really exciting. And I just told you, Alicia, tonight as we were getting ready for this, I was buying a book <laughs> that one click buy on Amazon because I can't stop. <laughs> There's so many just great books out there. But with the number of books out there comes a responsibility to choose respectfully, um, in an informed way right for your students and i think too something that aligns with your instructional goals yes always back to the content too so they have um this this article has a chart to interview your readers so that you can get to know mm -hmm. their backgrounds which i like um demographic information of course name how old you are but then it goes into family members your living arrangements mm -hmm. because we know that um with diverse backgrounds you, the families are also diverse in their in their makeup mm -hmm. um favorite activities for families perceptions about reading which is interesting not only do you like to read and why of course the same questions do you read at home um this is a question I've never heard worded this way. It's always like, does someone, I've always heard it, does someone read with you or to you at home? This question asks, do you prefer to read with someone else or by yourself? Oh, okay. Um, so it's really asking them, what's your preference? Mm -hmm. Do you think it's important to know how to read, why or why not? I have never heard that question asked in an in an mm -hmm. inventory even yeah um if a child if a reader thinks it's important for them to know how have you well i have a thought about that because i and i don't want to try to speak for the authors because i don't know if this is exactly what they're referencing but um over the years working with refugee populations there are people who for generations haven't had the opportunity to become literate but they are amazing storytellers or they have other ways that they communicate information and they have maybe they haven't learned what traditional literacy is like or what the value of it might be for them. So I could see how asking that question could really help you understand what a kid's family, the place of literacy in the family, not because they don't care about it but because maybe they haven't had access to other than oral literacy which is you know that is a huge thing yes and uh, a lot of times the people who have the storytelling um, 
and oral language primarily background have a memory that you know that's amazing they can remember a lot of things including a lot of stories and so that's where i think that might be coming from we have so many different types of um people from so many places and backgrounds that i think that question actually would get to a lot of things that we wouldn't normally think to ask right and and that's that's why it it stood out to me Mm -hmm. um because i think it would really like you said um, you you have a window into their background even more than just the standard questions right. that we may ask, especially mm-hmm. as a reader. Right, or just making a, an, an assumption, assumption that everybody understands what traditional literacy is like, what it's for, how it helps you in our society. You know, that's not something that everyone nat- naturally has. So that question to me is... Right really a great question. I thought it was interesting. I liked mm-hmm. it too. I'm not surprised you noticed yeah. it. <laughs> so what I've been trying to do is think of, thinking about Read Across America is try to highlight some texts that I really love that I can share with others. You and I are really committed to sharing content that supports students and teachers and parents. So, And I've been sending you these at all hours of the day <laughs> these videos that I've been working on and I really kind of wanted to talk about because I had to sit down and think think it all through how to share something like that with teachers I know you love sharing picture books with teachers too so maybe if we could just take a couple minutes and talk about that um, and it, I'm going to take this back to this article at step number three, just because okay. it's, it's relevant. Mm-hmm. And it talks about search for culturally relevant text. And we have talked about, you just mentioned a couple minutes ago about there, there are so many now to choose from. How do we choose? How do we, what, what is the best text for instruction or what is, I, a high quality text how do we decide that what's the criteria that right determines mm-hmm. if it's relevant or not or if it's high quality for instruction mm-hmm. they have a rubric in in this article too but we at Merton and Morgan also have something that um, we use and are going to share mm-hmm There's an article that, I mean, a rubric, excuse me, there's a rubric that I've used over the years, and I am interested in the one that's in the article because I think it adds some more pieces to this, but this uh, particular rubric comes from David and Yvonne Freeman, who've done a lot of work for English learners and about language development, and this version of their rubric is from NCTE's website, Read, Write, Think. And it's an interesting rubric because it helps you think about cultural relevance across a lot of factors. So the first factor, for example, is characters. And then you can rate, after kids read a book, they could rate how relevant it was for them. You could try to rate it ahead of time. And it's really interesting sometimes to compare. Um, So, for example, character says... um, the characters in the text are very much like me and my family. The characters would fit um, in well. 
That's a three. A two is the characters in the text have some similarity to me and my family, but there are also many differences. And a one is they're not at all like me and my family. The characters would not fit in well at all. So it gives you a chance to think about the characters in the book, then the experiences in the book, the place as in the setting, the time in the, as a setting, the age, the gender, the language. So how do the characters in the text, do they sound like the student in their family, in their neighborhood, do they talk, read, and write like us? And then the last element is frequency. So how often do you view, read, or listen to texts like this one? Um, so in the videos that I've been working on, I tried to separate that out into two sections on the rubric and talk about the books that I selected, what are the characters like, what are their experiences, what about the place and time, and so on, so teachers have something to think about when they, when they think about their students, whether it's going to fit. There's also a rubric mentioned in the article that contains seven dimensions that the author say should be considered when assessing to the extent in which a text may be culturally relevant for a student. So the first thing they say, how the book portrays a culture, and they're talking about in terms of representing that culture um, accurately, such as ignoring cultural differences or perpetuating stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And then number two, how the book portrays the culture in terms of being written or illustrated by someone who actually shares the culture represented in the book. And you and I kind of talked about that earlier. And you had mentioned a hashtag on Twitter that, mm-hmm. that you thought yeah, was relevant. Yeah, there's a hashtag on Twitter that is hashtag own voices. And it's a place where you can find texts that are written about culture by people of that culture. So I know there's been a lot of discussion about um, how difficult it can be for people Um, who are not of the dominant culture to get the stories published or promoted. And um, sometimes other people are telling the stories when people of the culture are really trying to get their stories out there. So it's interesting to go into that hashtag and see who's um, writing and what they're writing about. It doesn't mean, you know, you can't choose any book you want to choose, but... um, It's good to find an authentic voice. Number three states whether the student shares cultural markers with the main character, um, such as race, ethnicity, or religion. Four, whether the student is of the same age and gender identity as the main character. Five, whether the student talks in a similar way as the main character. Six, whether the student has lived in or visited places similar to the setting of the book. And seven, whether the student has had experiences similar to those in the book. Isn't that interesting? Those almost all overlap with the Freeman's rubric. And it, and it takes me back to um, emotion again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that empathy, sympathy, and students kind of trying on those characters' feelings. Right. And if they have someone that looks like them or has had similar experiences, they have this commonality with this character to say you've been through that I've been through that maybe no one else that they're around in their in their school or in their neighborhood has had the same experiences but yet a character in a book 
that can have that kind of relationship or or friendship to say I've been there I've been there too I've gone through that and I think there, there's a comfort in that mm-hmm. um, if you if you don't live in an area or or share experiences with the people that you are around every day yeah I think that's hugely important and you're making me think too about um, all the years that I've worked with again with um, different displaced people and um, international people people who've lived in refugee camps who've had their lives lives disrupted a lot of cultures that kids come from in those situations there are no books for children um, you know the books that we're so used to seeing the picture books they don't have those and um, there are some um, foundations, nonprofits that are out there trying to help change that and make sure that different countries, cultures, that kids can see themselves in stories. So the reason I'm bringing that up is sometimes teachers will get very distressed over the fact that they can't find a book that perfectly matches a kid. Well, that it might not exist. It literally might not exist. So that's where you Good go point. back to the kids' stories. First of all, the kid can be an author. Right. So the kid could write the first story. You know, what an opportunity to have a kid create that story, illustrate that story. But also, I've read, and I can't remember, I wish I could, where, but I, I personally have found this to be true. If kids see that you value diverse text it's okay if it's not a perfect match for them you agree with that it's not it's okay if it's not a perfect match for them on all the markers or even maybe you can't find one that has any of their exact cultural markers but they see you providing this variety of reading material and being excited about it and kids being allowed to talk about it and celebrating it and i think that there's a lot to be um said for the variety that you bring into your classroom. It doesn't have to be that perfect match for a kid to have, you know, a connection. And I think too that when they when they see even their friends um, in a text, I know that um, when we have read a story or or a picture book, if there's even been an animal or some kind of food that mm-hmm. they have eaten or they have recognized. And it's not common in, you know, everyday read-alouds or, or older read-alouds that are more common and more popular. They get so excited. They're like, oh, I've had that at so-and-so's house or I've had that in a restaurant. So it's it's just just like you were saying. It, may, it doesn't have to be spot on per se, but as long as they can have some kind of connection, it just re-engages them into that text and then you can get to that instruction. But I I think it's easier now to fit instruction with text that meets the needs of our kit or of diverse readers. Mm -hmm. Um, Easier than it's it's ever been. I think we just have to take the steps to to do that. I want to mention that one of the um, nonprofits that I read about that's doing a lot of this work, especially with girls and getting books in um, kids' hands that have... Uh, characters that look like them and are written by authors in their own culture is Room to Read, roomtoread.org, and they accept donations and they do have a lot of really interesting examples of books that kids and and older, you know, 
adolescents have authored and are now like the first picture books in the country that represent those children. That's our next job, Alicia. We're going to go travel the world and help kids write books. Um, I've also, this is just reminding me, I I know we're talking um, mostly about storybooks because of characters Mm -hmm. and so forth, but um, in my conversations, I work in a school that is extremely diverse, and um, we often have conversations around the animals that live in their native countries. So, and that comes up often. Right. And their relationships uh, to those animals yes. that are very different depending on where they live. And so a lot of the informational books that are checked out or that they have requested, they really have to do with those animals mm-hmm. and the habitats, and which I find very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, so you can, you not only, it's not only necessary to look for storybooks, but also those informational texts mm-hmm. too. Are very, are very relevant, or at least to the kids that I work with. They're very interested in... They are. They're fascinating. ...a lot of those animals that are from their their region. So um, that's interesting, too. So an, another way that this article says to, to find those culturally um, relevant texts and the ones that, that are notable and worthy are by um, some of the awards or list, and there are many... I'm just going to name a few because there are two pages of them. One is the first one they list is the American Indian Youth Literature Award, the Arab American Book Award, Caldecott Medal, um, Children's um, Africana Book Awards, Coretta Scott King Book Award that I'm familiar with, ILA Notable Books for a Global Society, uh, the um, Tomas Rivera Mexican American Children's Book Award. Um, and we will link this on our podcast mm-hmm. for you. Um, many of these awards I have never heard of. Well, so yeah, I'm and I'm thinking, wouldn't it be fun to have your kids make up their own award and give a book an award, you know, that they really love and why do you love it? And That's a good idea. Why should other kids read this and what should we call it? Kind of like the book recommendations, Mm -hmm. but with an award attached. Yeah. be cool. Mm -hmm. Well, thinking back to the videos that uh, I mentioned earlier, with each video, I selected a book and then went through the cultural relevance rubric that I talked about, the ones that the Freemans wrote that was adapted and posted on Read, Write, Think. But then giving an overview of the book, I myself found that there were things about the authors that I didn't know because in order to make a video, I had to go really do some research. And Amazon is not the best place to get all that information. I noticed that, you know, Random House or the actual publishing houses have really interesting background on the authors. I know you know that. Um, But that was a good reminder because that's a good thing for kids to know too. If you really want to know about the author... Here's where you go. And then I started to notice that some of these authors, um, they're, they're just their own stories are so compelling. And one of the authors of a book that I love right now, Imagine, his name is Juan Felipe Herrera. He was poet laureate of the United States. And he's a kid whose parents were migrant workers. And so his, his story, which is really a poem, is really uplifting and he does a good job of making kids 
you know, be able to imagine that some things must have been hard for him, but he always does it with such an upbeat and positive tone that he really does inspire kids to think about what they might be able to do if he could do what he did. So it's like he's paying it forward. And anyway, so going in and really looking at those authors, I think is worth our time because we can learn a lot about what their reason for writing the book was, their own life experience that could also be connected to the kids. Um, And then strategies. So teachers love books, but they want to know how, what do I do with the book? You know, I, I can read it to my class and we could talk about it, but we also have those standards that we need to, to work towards. So what are some of the ways that you get teachers to look at how to teach standards within the context of a great book for diverse readers? Well, we of course start with the standard first, and then we um, actually look at the books to see um, do they do they have the content that we are looking for? Are they engaging? Is it something that our students are going to um, have a connection to or need background on? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of our students don't have a lot of background knowledge on some of the topics that they will that they are going to encounter in our school. So we make sure that those books have that kind of content. Okay. So as far as matching like strategies and standards to the books, where do you start? We always start with the standard and then okay. we read the story. Okay. And sometimes they fit and sometimes they don't. Um, we uh, oftentimes will see it, we'll pick up a book because we think, oh, it's cute or it's funny or we really like it. But often it doesn't, it doesn't match. There might not be enough content or it might not have the right criteria that we need for the standard. If, so, if we need dialogue and it doesn't include dialogue, we, okay. we can't use it. But in a case like that, that could be a book yeah. that's in your independent reading shelf that kids could pick up and read on their yes, own for, or for with enjoyment. a friend. Yeah, mm-hmm. for enjoyment. Okay. Or it could be a read aloud just for for fun. Yes. Okay. Well, when I was looking through the books in creating these videos, I did try to find... Um, at least one reading and writing strategy that the teachers could use with this with the book and then also because you and I have talked so much about visual thinking there's a, a lot of these books have beautiful illustrations and the illustrations really capture the cultural markers as much or even more than the text so using those illustrations and having kids draw and label and have a chance to sketch out their thinking getting their thinking on the page through drawing is um it I thought that was pretty easy to do with the books usually and you're you're mentioning about the one of the aspects that we because I work mainly with kindergarten first and second grade so we are always looking for pictures that match the words mm-hmm. because that is a concept that we are constantly reinforcing not Mm -hmm. only when they read but when we they write every day so trying to get their illustrations to match their words is is a big deal for us when we're choosing a text Mm -hmm. uh, um, to teach a mini lesson with well and I've noticed too that as far as language goes quite a few times the language um, there there might be the book might be mostly in English with a few Spanish for example phrases 
that are then also given to the reader in English. But if you're looking at the character walking through a city, you'll see Spanish words labeling the different shops. And, you know, that's where you'll really see the day-to-day language of the neighborhood. And so, you know, the pictures carry a lot of that weight too. Um, Two books that I really like that I've done videos on that we're going to be releasing during Read Across America. Uh, One is called A Gift from Abuela by Cecilia Ruiz, and the other one is called Island Born by Juno Diaz. And I found out when I was doing this that um, Juno Diaz is actually a Pulitzer Prize winning author. And, mm -hmm, And he wrote this book for kids and I think it was his first time to write a book for kids but um it was just shocking to me that he was you know that accomplished of an author and here I am reading this book that he wrote and he's also from um the Dominican Republic and the book on in Islandborn they never mention the name of the island I think to make it more um universal for any kid whose family comes from an island setting but uh it's definitely, you know, the Dominican Republic. He's writing about his background. So it's just it's just so interesting to learn these things. And kids don't necessarily have to know that, but but for us as adults to understand where these stories are coming from. So both of those books, Abuela by Cecilia Ruiz and Island Born by Juno Diaz have abuelas. And the abuela is a really important figure <laughs> in the Spanish-speaking world. That's the grandmother. And um, kids love to read about abuelas because they love their abuelas. So, um, And some of them don't know their abuelas or their abuelas are somewhere else. You know, They don't get to see them very often, so you're possibly going to have feelings there too about that. But um, to take those two books and have the kids compare and contrast the abuelas I had a group of third graders do that this year and the things they came up with were just astounding we did you know just a t-chart with a box at the bottom one abuela on one side one on the other side box at the bottom is what's the same and those kids wrote full essays they all wrote for at least four paragraphs and they all said when they finished they said that's the most I've ever written on paper Miss Morgan ever like they wanted those papers out on the yes on the bulletin board because they were surprised to see their own writing how much they had written and how much it looked like third grade writing and the reason was because it hit them in their you know feelings it got them in a place and also it's because those two authors wrote those books beautifully. They're not, they, they put a lot into those books. They didn't just, you know, write a book to try to make an extra buck. You can tell they really wanted to connect with children and their families. So that's just one example of some actual strategy and standard-based work that you can do with some of these books. And I'm, I'm just sitting here as you're, as you're talking about that. I'm thinking... Um, going back and doing that research of, uh, about the authors, mm-hmm. I think especially young children, they see they see a book, but really to think about, we talk about what is an author, what is an illustrator, but for them to actually see a face of a person that this man or woman actually wrote, they're real, first yeah. of all, and they wrote 
the story that that you read and that you enjoy, I think it makes it attainable for them. Yeah. Because we call them authors and illustrators, but for them to actually see, oh, that's what that person looks like. Yeah. Um, And it's a... Because we talk about it, but I think until they put a face Mm -hmm. to that author or illustrator, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, somebody wrote that book. Um, But then it just brings it home to say, I can do that. This mm-hmm. is a real person. I'm a real person. Mm-hmm. The um, the author studies are pretty pretty powerful instructional uh, tools as well. Yeah, I mean, I could oh. just go on. I could just do this all the time. It's really it's so much fun. The book A Gift from Abuela is also um, about an abuela who tries to save money for something special for her granddaughter, and that doesn't work out because the money again they don't say it's mexico city but it's mexico because that's where the author's from and it has to do with the money changing um the the form of money they were using changed and so abuela had hidden her money in a cookie jar and she couldn't the money was literally no good anymore um and hard times had come and abuela was working more and making less money so she couldn't get the thing for the granddaughter that the grant she wanted to give her but they made papel Picados, those beautiful cut, you know, ornate flags out of the paper, and they were celebrating how much they loved to be together, even though they didn't have that gift. But then that reminded me of the book Uncle Jed's Barbershop, where he, I love that book, where he tries so hard to start his own business, but he's always called on, right, to like help other people with the little bit of money he has. And I thought, wow, that's like really, you could talk about Uncle Jed and Abuela. You know, they both were doing something and kept hitting financial setbacks. And there's not a lot of books about that. That's not, that's something that happens to so many Many people. people. And kids understand that, you know, I didn't get to get that bike because my mom had a flat tire, you know, or, you know, um, they understand that. So, well, and I was just, I didn't go that route. I was thinking about the money in the jar. Mm-hmm. And how cross-culturally kids would say, oh, well, my mom puts money under the mattress. Or oh, where we, do you put your we money? We have money yeah. in a pickle jar. Where do you and hide it? Yeah. So although it may not be who you are in that book, everybody could have a connection to that. Everybody you know? could. I didn't think of that. That's And really so good. I thought about, okay, these culturally responsive texts are bringing different cultures together we're finding a similarity within the books you know we all everybody has a place well not everybody but a lot of kids can relate to yeah Mm -hmm. i put all my pennies in the pickle jar or i had i hide my money here or yeah we we had to use our money or it was lost or it was stolen yeah you know Mm -hmm. that's where i thought of wow see that's the beauty everybody can relate yeah i think um you you know, they say these books are windows, mirrors, and sliding glass doors. You know, you you see something new, or you see yourself, or you enter a new world. And so, or you could be doing all of those things at, at the same time in a, any given book. So, it's just, the opportunities are there. I think another thing I wanted to say is, for my students, um, these books, even A Gift from Abuela, An Island Born, they're picture books, but as you and I have discussed, picture books aren't always the easiest books to read. The pictures are beautiful, and the stories are usually manageable, but the text can be difficult, um, for especially if it's like written as a poem, or, you know, and it has figurative language, or something like that. So, 
One resource I really love is Epic. It's an app that's um, you can get for iPad, and it has so many books. And I've been able to find, and they're free. They're all free. And I've been able to find quite a few of the um, books for diverse readers in that app. And a lot of times it has a read aloud feature so the kid can listen to the story multiple times while they're looking at the pictures. And I find that for some kids that really helps them build that background they need to then write about it you know because they have to really I feel like they have to know the text pretty well to be able to bring something to it that they can write about so and YouTube is a good resource yes for that also if mm-hmm. um, a lot of times if our teacher they don't have access to the book mm-hmm. in their hand they they google it and they somebody is either reading it mm-hmm. um, on YouTube or or the author a lot of times if the author's reading reads it, it mm-hmm um, and, and then they can use it in whatever yeah. instructional way. I like those. I just, I have to say, uh, there's something about the book. I know, but not everyone has I access. I know. Not everyone has access. And there's all different ways, you know, of sharing yeah. information. But um, just that, there's something about the book. I know. There's just a feeling. And the pictures. And the pictures and the turning of the pages and the, you and know. And when the kids inch closer yeah. to you as they get more involved <laughs> yeah. in the book, they're all kind of itching a little bit. Yes, and you can stop and discuss it at your own leisure. It's not somebody else's. Yeah, but yes, I told, I know that it's important to have books in all different formats, and you're right, but um, I don't know. There's something about the book. And and I think all of, and all of these, these rubrics are wonderful. Mm-hmm. I think... Though the um, the most important seal of approval is when you put is after you've read that you put that book down and everybody's fighting. <laughs> Everybody wants right. to read it. Everybody wants to read it immediately, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so then you know, okay, right? The kids are the That's real a good judge. One. <laughs> yeah, I think the rubrics so, are helpful just because sometimes we can make assumptions about oh, this looks like these kids, and so they should all like this book, but we haven't really taken time to think it through. So that's why I don't think anybody should be overly um, stringent about rubrics. I don't know. Or sometimes a cover Mm -hmm. is misleading. Yes. Right? And then you read it, and the content maybe is not appropriate either. So Mm -hmm. you have to think about that. Or there is so much text on a page, mm-hmm. so you have to think about your audience there and if, if they can sit for that. Um, yeah, and I'll be honest yeah. with you, I've found some books that I myself thought, I thought they looked kind of junky. I just thought, ugh, these, I don't, I don't love this book. But when I showed it to kids, they flipped about it because it was something, I'm thinking of, um, and now this book's not junky, but it's a book that I didn't know how much my kids would like it's called rice bag hammock and it's all about using a rice bag and turning that rice bag into a hammock that you can swing in between you know trees and sort of like the journey of the rice bag oh my gosh that is a thing that a lot of kids um in like the tropical areas that that is a very big thing <laughs> so having found that book and shared wow. it with some kids i i mean do you know about that no, i've I, never heard of that yeah book. and so um now i want to google it and yeah see what it's about. it just was it just came to my mind that that was one of those just simple little books that i thought you know was just kind of interesting but the kids actually really loved it so you're right i think the kids are always the test you know they're the they're the final say 
Yes, because they they are not shy about saying yay or nay. Nope, don't like it. Well, Mary, when are um, these rubrics going to be available? The videos? Let's talk about that. Yeah, our videos. Well, I have three that are ready. I think it would be good to start releasing them when Read Across America starts. So maybe March? Yeah. People can start looking for them? Mm Mm-hmm. And we'll have those linked on our website, and we can put that on Facebook. And it'll be on Twitter, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And there will be a link on our Instagram page. Mm Mm-hmm. So look for those starting in March while we celebrate Read Across America Month. And... We'll see you soon. Yeah. We're never out of books, are we? No. (laughs) Bye. Thanks.